the Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, drunken universal archetypes create deja vu and ennui and after-hour shenanigans. Blank verse and loaded prose. Plus, we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. All right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. It's an honor to have you along. I'm Bain Senior Editor Tony Daniel. This time we have David Weber here at the Bain Studios in person for an interview. Plus, we have Bain publisher and my boss, Tony Weiskopf, sitting in on the interview. We talked with David about one of the novels in the Honor Harrington series, Honor Among Enemies, which is out now in a signed leather-bound edition. David talks about how that book was a turning point in the Honor Harrington series, with a reinvigorated honor returning to take on galactic bad actors. Plus, in this interview, David talks about the next book in the series, which will be out in October 2018. You're going to hear the title of that book. That's right. You will hear it here first, and you will hear David and Tony uh, talk about it a little bit. Of course, no spoilers. So stand by for that. And we also continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Leaden Universe novel Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. Now here's the news. New free fiction and nonfiction is available at the Bain.com website. We do this every month, and we have some amazing stuff. First, there's Sufficient Unto the Day, an all-new story by award-winning, and I mean really award-winning, science fiction and fantasy author Tim Powers, who, who I consider a great writer. It's that time of year when families head home to celebrate Thanksgiving with turkey, dressing, and a smorgasbord of side dishes. It's a time of pleasant reunions, but also a time rife with awkward relationships. And for the Coldharp family, things are even stranger than in the average household, because several of the Coldharps have shuffled off this mortal coil. But that doesn't mean they won't be asking you to pass the gravy. And when the spirits of the dearly departed show up for dinner, things can get a little otherworldly. Our nonfiction this month takes a sinister turn as science fiction writer and neuroscience researcher Benjamin C. Kinney delves into the mysteries of human handedness. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you are right handed. 90% of humanity is. Have you ever stopped to wonder, well, what's wrong with me? I mean, as a left hander, I can tell you that your type have designed all the can openers backward for one thing, but why? Why is there handedness? What does being right or left-handed say about the structure of the brain? And it turns out it says a lot about the basic organization of the brain. Find out more in this great essay by Ben Kenny, The Mysteries of Handedness. Sufficient Unto the Day by the great Tim Powers and Right Hand Human Brain, The Mysteries of Handedness by Benjamin C. Kenny are now available at Bain.com. They're on the main page and will be available long-term, potentially until the heat death of the universe or even beyond as part of the ebook Free Stories 2017 and the other ebook Free Nonfiction 2017, which you can get for free at Bain eBooks. You can download them there in all ebook formats, including for the Kindle. So do that and we'll give you a hand. <laughs> the other one.
I want to welcome David Weber to the podcast, and joining us also is Bain publisher Tony Weisskopf. It's an excellent, excellent pod this time. Hello, guys, folks. Hi. Hi, Tony. Hi, podcast yeah, listeners. This is me waving to the microphone. <laughs> David Weber is the creator of the internationally best-selling Honor Harrington series and the Honorverse, uh, within which the series is set. David has had a lot of New York Times bestsellers. Um, we can probably get the number from Marla, but I'll bet it's climbed over 30. And there are over 8 million David Weber books in print. David is also the author of many other Bain books, including the epic fantasy Basel series, with latest entry um, in the Ken Hoden subseries, Sword of the South. And he's the author with Linda Evans of two books in the multiverse series, Hell's Gate and Hell Has No Fury, and really recently, and uh, out, I believe it was in uh, 2017, right? Yeah. Uh, with Joel Presby, which was The Road to Hell. He's been writing a series set in the past of the Honorverse with Timothy Zahn and Thomas Pope called the Manticore Ascendant series. The, the last entry in that was a call to arms, and coming next spring is a call to vengeance, which is book three in the series. We're, we're looking forward to that. that it, that'll be the next Weber, I think, that... that will be out. Call to victory. Call to... Call to vengeance. Call to vengeance? Call to vengeance. Really? Yes. Okay. Well, huh. of course, you do have <laughs> you the... You didn't notice, did you? <laughs> but you had to write letter. You know, it's... You yeah. have the power to change that, Tony. If you <laughs> <laughs> One is tempted. You could do it right here, right... Now. All right. So that win will be out, and I'll bet it's out in New York pretty soon, too, because um, uh, it, it's... Um, underway at the copy editor now out of booksellers everywhere and a little hard to find it must be said is honor among enemies which is a reissue of book seven in the honor harrington series we've been bringing out the honor harrington books in these great signed leather-bound editions or basilisk uh, bound something like that and uh, <laughs> more are coming up so even if this one is sold out keep in mind that the program continues and and look out for these uh, David, as Honor Among Enemy opens, let's talk about that book for a little bit, if you don't mind. Honor is uh, seemingly content as a uh, duchess, um, countess. countess. She's countess, countess at that point, yes. And she runs the... The She's also a steadholder at the beginning of Honor. And, yeah. Well, the steadholder is, is what makes her the countess, or no? Mm, the countess yeah. is a courtesy title because of the fact that she's a steadholder. Okay. But she's she's sort of, she's beyond, like, just, a, just like a... a, a a dame or, or a sir in England English terms. She's she's among what, the, the what ruling. Honor, what Honor didn't realize when they asked her to be a stead holder is that a stead holder is kind of like the autocrat of all the rushes in his stead steading. Hmm. Okay, and this is an actual head of state who has however much parliament he or she chooses to have. And any decree that the steadholder issues has the force of law unless it constitutes the planetary, unless it contradicts the planetary constitution. Well, it's one more of, like one of the an things Eastern that, European kind of, like, yeah. we rule everything and your life is ours. Kind well, of. well but, one of the things I loved that Honor did about that, though, is that she established baseball. Yes. And she established <laughs> the right kind of baseball. Well, no, no, no. They, no she <laughs> learned about baseball autocrats. from the Graysons. Yes. They already had baseball. <laughs> and, and in fact, there's a scene in Honor Among Enemies where she sees they've been having riots. And she sees these guys with clubs heading to the park. Mm. And she's telling her armsman, get the guard down here, get the guard down. He's like, what, 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 what? She says, she's really pissed with him because, yeah, so she <laughs> says, don't we have enough trouble without people taking clubs with them? And he's like, what? And he looks and says, 
Those are baseball bats. Ah, that's and right. That's right. That's she right. says, she says baseball. He says, yes, you, you use the, hit the baseball. She says, is it like golf? So it gave me an excuse later to have Andrew explain a bulk. Yes. To someone. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. I haven't done the infield fly rule because yet. no That's one on can. My list. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. But that opens up baseball yeah. metaphors for you to yeah. use in in contemporary terms. In Grayson, so, yes, it certainly so, does. Uh, strikeout and all kinds of things. The great and the Graysons used them. I don't know if people have noticed. Yes. But they do. The Manticorans, not so much. There was going to be a sign, a scene before before uh, <laughs> Alistair got got killed. There was going to be a scene. The Harrington Tree Cats are in the Planetary series, and of course, it's all happening on Grayson. It's already happened, but Honor has had the the, the you know they just delivered you know like the video of the games, and she's been watching it. And and Alistair comes in and he wants to talk to her. She says, "Sit down, sit down." And he says, "What?" <laughs> he says, "It's the top of the ninth. We're down one run. The bases are loaded." Two out, and and our power hitter is coming to the plate. <laughs> and 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 Alistair looks around and says, "Where's the goalkeeper?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to write it. Oh. Sorry, Tony. It's sad. Well, we we were talking about alternate on uh, Otterverse stories earlier. I have to show you sometime the That's thing true. that I wrote for uh, my website about how the Safe Hold series won't end. And it has like Dahak dropping in. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, turns out the Gibab are actually the Akultani in an alternate universe. <laughs> so there's entire alter novels that you you've conceived and written parts of, but haven't <laughs> been able to use. Oh, absolutely. There, there's actually Tony. I, I don't want to tell you this, but there are at least two complete novels sitting around that I can't use because they're so inseparably tied to the Honorverse. I can't. I can't file off. There's no way to file off the serial numbers and do I, something else. I, with I, I, I see this as a positive. <laughs> <Okay>. Right. <laughs> but you can't use them because the way that the honorverse has evolved yeah. has superseded what yeah. it is. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. these these are like these are like fully developed plot outlines. Yeah. With maybe a third of the chapters already written mm -hmm. and I just because of the fact it all goes back to the fact that honor didn't die right okay and I'm happy that on honor didn't die on schedule in a, in a lot of ways. yeah as scheduled according to your giant original outline yeah she was she was the original the original series was only supposed to go about eight books before honor was killed okay and then with Eric and the whole genetic you know slavery issue being brought forward and it's really made some problems for me over the last three or four books because the Solarian League was supposed to have had 20 more years to get a clue and develop better warfighting technology uh -huh. <laughs> before this war broke out. And so I've been kind of having to regroup a little bit on my, on my way through. And I think in Uncompromising Honor... Uh, which has been handed in. And the EARC is not ready yet. It is scheduled for next October. Yes, that um, EARC is, will not be ready for quite the first um, I get it. I get it back on, and and there's some good combat in here. Great. Okay. Great. Yep. I, I I think all of us honor fans are going to be really yep. really pleased. And it's two hundred and ninety six thousand words long in its current format, according to the you know the word count. So it's a lean. It's a lean. It's a lean book. It's, a lean. it's actually, it's actually, I think, the longest 
of the Honor Harringtons. Mm. But there is very little uh, in here that isn't directly moving the storyline ahead. Great. Um, except for Honor eating Rubble the Green Peas. That's <laughs> <laughs> that was what I just I had to put in. You know, okay. had to put in. Yes. Raul is her son. Yes, Raul, Raul is her feeding son. her son. Yes. Green peas. We have that scene. We know we have No, no, no. Son. She's attempting she, to oh, feed him <laughs> green peas. And there is, there is a scene in here where Emily says to Hamish in honor, you difference. do realize you're talking about feeding a child, not fighting a battle. And then she says, wait, forget I said that. Honor <laughs> says truer words were never spoken. Yeah. But anyway. Here come um, the missile pods. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Just pretend it's a missile rod. Okay, I'm sorry. All right. All right. Well, we heard it. I mean, a lot of people uh, that are listening, and perhaps I don't know whether you've even said the title out in public before, but but this will be the first time people have heard about this. It you've done it. This is a the next Donner Harrington book, and it's going to be called Uncompromising Honor. Uncompromising Honor. Unless Tony changes that to and and it ends called a victory. (laughs) It ends the original. it, It reaches the original end point that I had in mind for the story arc beginning with Basilisk Station. Yeah. We're, we're at exactly the same point. We just got there about 25 years earlier in universe time than we were supposed to, so that and the next generation of Harrington... novels. About 15 more <laughs> novels, yeah, you know. What can I say? I found other things, you know. It's been... It's been fun. And, and it is sort of interesting that night, 2018 will be the 25th anniversary of, um, of Basilisk. It came out in 93. 93, yeah. okay. So wow. it'll be, you know, it took me exactly a quarter of a century to get the eight books that <laughs> <to write. laughs> Wow. Ah, yes. We, I, 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 you know, when I first read it, I, I really enjoyed it, and, and I never would have predicted that this is where we would be 25 years later. I, I would not have either. I think one of the most brilliant marketing decisions in the history of publishing was Jim releasing the first two like a month apart. I think that was. Did I ever tell you about Carol and Cherry and the Publisher's Weekly ad for those two books? No, I don't think so. When, when, you, did, when you did the Publisher's Weekly ad for the two books... You left the author's name off the books. Yeah. The art that you used was earlier. Okay. It was it was the cover comp where yes. it's the Honor Harrington is the 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 uh, the big thing up top. Yeah. So I I I walk into Magnum Opus Con in Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah. And Carolyn is there. Okay. And Carolyn. C.J. Cherry, Carolyn Cherry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wearing a T-shirt that I'd had made at Kinko's that has the cover for On Basilisk Station on it with, with my name on it, because I never saw the Publishers Weekly yet. Right. And I walk in, and Carolyn is like, and she turns around to me like this, and she looks at me, and then she grabs the front of my shirt, and she holds it out, and she says, you wrote it. And I'm like, what? She says, that is the most brilliant marketing ploy I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yes. And then I said, well, what was that? <laughs> It's just a t-shirt. It was a brilliant marketing ploy. You left the author's name off as a tease. See? That, that just yeah. If anybody asks, it's like when I asked you why Nimitz's eyes were red on the first cover when it clearly says they're green in the book. Right. And Tony's response, she didn't even miss a beat. Flash bounce. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. Clearly. They Our can, artists they... go to the last. <laughs> yes, right. The last yeah. little detail. Absolutely. Multiverse. They can't correct crazy. for that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't realize they had to. Yeah. See, if they'd known they had to, they would. They could have fixed it. Yeah. Exactly. We'll get it right on the next. Yeah. We'll get it anyway, right on the mass market. Back, back to, back <laughs> to Honor Among Enemies. Market, yes. Um, what she's doing on Grayson at this point is she's been rusticated. Uh, more or less, for having killed a uh, peer of the realm who really needed it in a duel. Indeed. The fact that he was holding an empty gun at the moment that she shot him is held against him by her enemies. Her partisans point out that the reason his gun is empty is that he just shot her in the back. Okay, so it's kind of like, you know. <laughs> um, but she's also, and I think some people have, have missed this, Honor has had a complete mental breakdown yeah. between the previous book and this one. I mean, she's just completely lost it. And she's been putting herself back together on Grayson. She feels like she's been hiding, which in a sense she has. But she has been, she's been putting herself back together. And the honor that emerges on the other side of this is actually, in my opinion, quite a different honor from the one who walked into it on, on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, she's... It's kind of like um, Alicia DeVry in, uh, in Path of the Fury. Yeah. After she puts herself back together, she, there's this balance in there because yeah. now she knows how far she can be reduced, if you see what I'm saying. And, and that's really the point at which honor begins changing from the person who is like, I will never put myself forward to the one who tells the investigator, you're not even interested in my version. All right, you're fired. You can't fire me. I'm not in your chain of command. Let me explain something to you. I can fire you, or I can talk to Pat Givens, and if she doesn't fire you, I can talk to Thomas Caffarelli, and if he doesn't fire you, I can talk to Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> but trust me, you don't want me to. Okay, that honor Harrington, compared to the Honor Harrington of, say, yeah. Basilisk Station yeah. or Honor of the Queen. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, she's she's really... I don't think that you can write a series of books as long as the ones I've written about Honor yeah. without having the character change. Because if you do, it turns into Star Trek books where you can't change Kirk, you can't change McCoy, you can't change Spock. Right. And it's only the secondary characters that you really read the books for, hmm. okay? Uh, so if honor is going to maintain that centrality, there has to be an honor who is who is changing. She um, seems a little, she seems less grim also in this book because she's sort of found a piece, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, she's dealt with the the biggest of her pre-novel crosses. Yeah. Was Pablo Young? Yes. Okay. Uh, because of the history that they had and the fact that his family was doing everything they could to break her kneecaps, you know, on her career and everything else. Yeah, but I mean, more what she was doing to herself because because, because of the she situation. wasn't dealing with yes. what had happened. Yeah, exactly. Him. And then when he has Paul Tankersley killed, okay, that's really what pushes her over the edge. Yeah. Um, she basically, if you read honor, if you read honor, um, people that dishonor carefully. You'll realize that she's holding herself together long enough to kill Pavel Young. Yeah. That's all she's interested in doing from the moment that she hears that Paul is dead. And then she's accepting the sacrifice of her career. She's throwing everything away because she's going to get the guy who killed Paul. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't have quite that kind of a berserker mode in her 
after she comes back together on Grayson. I mean, she's, she's still capable. Oh, yeah, well, she's still capable of deciding the universe would be better without you in it and improving the universe, you know, anytime mm. that it's necessary. But the reason that she takes the, the commission in honor of the queen when they offer her the slot is there's two reasons. One is it gets her back into Manticore in uniform. Mm-hmm. It gets her back on a bridge and she needs to be there because they're fighting a war and she's not in it. Okay. <laughs> the other one is somebody has to do it. Okay. And that is really and truly the linchpin of Honor Harrington. I will tell you that at the end of the book, Uncompromising Honor, Elizabeth Winton, in the last sentence of the book, gives the best summation of Honor Honor Harrington's character, in my opinion, anybody's ever given in any of the books. All All I'm going to tell you about it. (laughs) All right, you're tearing up. Yeah, I'm also going to say, spoiler alert, I haven't read it yet, so let's not... (laughs) (laughs) not, We can cut it out of the podcast, but not out of your brain. That's right. (laughs) That's not to reveal the end of the book at the moment. But But there's there's one other thing. Is it a summation of... I mean, Her character. Yeah, we're... And Elizabeth is the queen. Yes. Um, uh, so it's sort of like Ford and Brass pronouncing on what the hell just happened here. <laughs> well, know. let me let me say this too. The other thing about uncompromising uh, honor. No, no, about um, honor uh, honor among enemies. Yeah. Honor among enemies, if you read it carefully, establishes all but one element of the technology, which later comes into play to give manticore the edge that it needs to beat the republic of haven and later the solarian league Ah. all of the technology that is later used is introduced at least in embryonic form except for the ftl com i mean one of the things the river there were only going to be eight books (laughs) (laughs) i had to get it out there quick you did you did one of the things about i mean the one of the plot devices in here is that honor she's been sent off to fight some pirates while the war's going on over here and she's given these ships that don't have any armor on them. You have basically merchantmen with guns. Yeah, but she's but they've got like and and some of their experimental stuff that may or may not work, right? Uh-huh. This, and so she's sent off into the back um, into. Well, the, she's sent off into Silesia, which is kind of like if we were serious about doing something about Somalia pirates, mm-hmm. okay? Except that. The Somalian pirates are not having anywhere near the impact on international trade that Silesia is having on Manticore's um, interstellar trade mm. at, at this point. So she's basically sent on a commerce protection mission, and the ships are not intended to take on first-line warships or, or anything else. Um, and they have, they really and truly are eggshells armed with sledgehammers. Okay, as a couple and of battle cruisers find out what, in the four course of them, or five, <laughs> I think there's a total of four. I'd have to go yeah. back and look. I think there are four. There might be five. Uh, there's hers, and um, I think uh, Alice Truman has one, and uh, Sam. Um, oh, the, the the Duke of um, her 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 com officer from the first book, right? Um, has one. But this is the first time that she's not the captain. She's the group commander. Of the, she's also the captain. She's also the captain. Yeah, she's, of, she's of wearing two way, hats. She's the, the captain of the of the Wayfarer yeah. and the senior officer of the 
of the squadron. And, and one of the reasons it's set up that way is that when they sent her, even though it's up to her to determine what her deployment plan is going to be, it was almost inevitable that they were going to operate at least in pairs and probably singletons because of the amount of space they had to cover and because the guys they were supposed to be going after are basically souped up rowboats with guns, not first-line battleships. They, they didn't know that the peeps had sent an entire fleet into Silesia <laughs> to help raid, you know. I mean, you know. I, I just hope I never meet Honor in a dark alley somewhere. Oh, yeah. Because she is going to be so pissed with me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You can't like that scene in of these situations. That's, that's, scene in, that's scene in Last Action Hero. <laughs> Don't even like you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you keep on taking parts, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty much done with that. You know. Yeah. Um, but um, So these, sh these ships are, um, they have... They're carriers for some small attack. Light attack crap. Light and attack they crap. have torpedoes. Big, big missiles. And yes. they have a big energy weapon, yes. main weapon. They have so. like they have like super dreadnought sized energy weapons on a freighter. Yeah. Which is kind of like the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody's gonna see it coming, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um the other thing that, that this book does is I think some people don't realize Honor Harrington is a brilliant tactician, blah, 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 blah. It's all that's true. But the way she really accomplishes what she accomplishes is through what she gets out of the people around her. If you if you look, mm -hmm. that's really what it is. And actually, um, uh, uh, Lucian Cortez tells her at one point, you know, statistically there's a measurable difference in the ability of the officers before and after they serve with you. Um, and uh, the, uh, and, and she's like, nah, you know, but, but it, but it's true. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's, that, that's what a charismatic leader does is get the best out of his or her people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like, I've actually I've had people say, "Oh my God, Honor Harrington, she's perfect." Okay, she never makes a mistake. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, let's see. She shot a prisoner without a trial. She missed, but she had the muzzle against his forehead. She <laughs> squeezed the trigger, and the only reason she didn't kill him was that somebody else knocked the gun aside, and then her own people wrestled her to the ground and said, "No, you can't kill him." And I'm like. Some people would think that's a minor character flaw, you know, but they're like, no, he needed killing. It's okay. <laughs> that's the reason in one of the books when Mike, where Mike Hinky critiques her tactics at Cerberus. Yes. Because everybody's like, yes. oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's no, it's not brilliant. They were <laughs> stupid tactics. The problem was that Honor Harrington couldn't walk away and leave those people behind. Right. And the only way she could do anything about it was to put together this cockamamie plan that only worked because the author was on her side, okay, kind of thing. Um, and, and, but everybody's like, oh, it was brilliant, it was brilliant, it was, I tried real hard to explain that it wasn't, but okay. <laughs> you know. Um, well, sometimes it's better to be lucky than brilliant, you know. Well, yeah, well, it, yeah, that's true. It doesn't hurt to be both, I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, but the other problem well, but is... Well, I, th I think the nice thing is is that is that she isn't a superhero, okay? That, that, mm -hmm. that she is a, a real human being. She does make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Things don't always go her way. Um, and, and, and that's okay. Well, I, th I think the other thing that people miss is that competent characters, competent people make competent mistakes. Right. 
Okay, they don't just suddenly wake up and say, I think I'll be stupid today. Right. Okay. They, and I'm they, homeless. Yeah. So, they, they, yeah. They take, they take, it takes they time have bad make... information yeah. uh, or, yeah. or, you know, and, and they make a mistake. They, they see what they needed to see, like honor needed to be able to play. Okay, there's a scene, there's another scene. Um, it's in the book where she's captured. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, it's not. It's in Echoes of Honor. Okay. It's in Echoes of Honor. There we go. Um, when they, when they, when they break her out of the brig. Okay. Okay. Um, Three of her armsmen are killed breaking her out of the brig. Andreas yeah. Venezuelas, who's been with her since he's killed mm. breaking her out of the brig. Everybody's down except Andrew LaFalo. Okay? And she knows from what Andrew's told her that Alistair McKean and the other prisoners are holding the boat bay. And they're supposed to launch, you know, if she can't get there. But it's Alistair McKean, okay? He's not going anywhere until she's there, no matter what. And she knows it. Okay. And Andrew LaFollette goes down when she's already in the in in the elevator, okay. Mm-hmm. She had to push the button, okay. There's another 150 people down in the boat bay who are going to die if she doesn't get there. He has just, as far as she knows, been killed doing his duty, which is to get her this far. Yeah. So what does she do? She runs out into the crossfire, <laughs> grabs him, drags him into the elevator, gets hit, almost dies, loses her left arm, mm. okay, out of all this. And people are like, yes! And I'm like, as a human being, yes, okay, as an officer, as a stead holder, as an all this, it was absolutely the wrong decision for her to make. Yeah. But because it was the right decision for her as a human being who cared about this person to make, Nobody sees it as a weakness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I remember that scene. I remember you know her thought processes mm-hmm. as you know as as this is happening. Um, so so you feel it. You yeah. feel it. Uh, she she just she can't not do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's one reason the character works. Yep. Um, is that she refuses to abandon who she is for what she is. Hmm. If that, you see what that's I'm a saying. really nice way of putting well, it. Yeah. You hear about it in Honor Among Enemies. Um, mm-hmm. There is uh, a conspiracy aboard the ship with some uh, some jer- jerk crew members, low low rating ratings that are um, and our one of our our subheroes is um, a, a young uh, Aubrey Wonderman. Yes, Aubrey Wonderman, who's a it's a wonderful subplot um, um, how he comes into his own, and he's a real he's like a quite the quite the scared young. Uh, <laughs> With good reason, <laughs> hundred hundred pound weakling yeah. when he starts out, but uh, yeah, he's he's much like the guy in the uh, Charles Atlas comic. Well, book, not but, not really so much. He just falls into bad yeah. company. He falls yeah. into Horace Harkness's company. But he, he's he's <laughs> the, the Marines. Guy he's, he's put upon. Yes, um, yes. he's yes. put upon at the beginning. And these guys, or you hear them. Uh, bitching at the beginning about how honor always gets everybody killed, <laughs> and the, and they're you know you and you think well they're right, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely right. Even, but the thing is, is that you know it's like it, it, it's you know the, the other thing is, is you get killed doing your best, and you're happy if you're a good officer. Yeah. Well, okay, you're, you're good, maybe not happy. Well, but you're not you're, happy, but you, you you did you did what you set out. To yeah. Do. I mean, you're at the, you're you're fulfilling what your greatest potential and that's what honor brings mm-hmm. out in you yeah. but if you're not going to be somebody that does that kind of thing well that, then that, you might just die <laughs> and be well, in a bad situation well the other thing that well okay the, the thing is that the the quality members of the navy know that the only reason any of honor's people lived was because she was there to get them out 
And there's a scene, there's a, in um, Honor of the Queen, mm-hmm. when Alice Truman is being sent home to, to get help. You know, she's, her ship's been all shot up, and right. she knows that Honor has a damaged heavy cruiser and a damaged destroyer, and they're up against a modern battle cruiser that outmasses both of them put together about 10 times. And she can't, her ship is too damaged to fight. And so she tells her engineer to take the governors off the hyperdrive. They're going to go all the way up to the very, and if they bounce off the upper wall, the entire ship will be destroyed. Everybody will be killed, et cetera. And her, her, her engineer says, so did you happen to mention this to uh, Captain Harrington? And she says, oh, it slipped my mind somehow. You know, kind of, <laughs> she's like, yeah. And she's thinking about this as she goes. And she's thinking about the fact that, you know, sometimes what it really comes down to is that there's one person who you know absolutely will never fail you. And that means you can never fail her. And that's exactly how Honor gets what she gets out of these people. Okay? They know that, you know, the only way that Honor Harrington won't be there for her is if Honor Harrington got killed. Yep. Okay? And so that's what they give her in return. And that's and Aubrey comes to because he does some really cool, brilliant stuff himself as he goes through Honor Among Enemies. Um, he comes to understand this about himself as well, he, mm-hmm. and, and a much lower yeah. degree. I mean, he's just a dude that does computer stuff. But Honor, Honor Among Enemies, in some ways, is my favorite book for dealing with non-officers yeah. in the Honor Room. Yeah. Because yeah. so much of the rest of it is there's tactics and everything else that you spend your time on the, on the command deck. The mm-hmm. other place where you, I get to do that some is where I'm dealing with the snotties because they're interfacing with the senior enlisted and, and whatnot. And, of course, they're just larval stage officers themselves, right. you know, kind of thing. Um, but by and large, because of the nature of the books, it's really not practical to do that in most of these most of these novels. Do you yeah. think this is the first book where we got a, a rating subplot? Or? Um, I would say... Because I can't remember one. I would say in, in Basilisk Station, you've got Harkness and Scotty Tremaine. Right. Okay, which is the beginning of that duo. <laughs> um, and that's kind of, yeah. Um, I've always had, I've always had senior enlisted that you've seen, the bosons on the ships, the sergeants and whatnot. You just haven't seen a lot of the interaction of the, of the, 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 you know, the, the, yeah, specialist third and yeah, whatnot. but that, that that's some of the reason why you've had novels and stories set in the honorverse that lets you tell more and different kinds of stories. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, for example, in um, the um, Manticore Ascendant series, yeah, uh, Travis Long starts as enlisted. Yeah, and then and Ginger Lewis does the same thing later on in in the honor books, um, but um, and we do meet Aubrey later when he's like a senior master chief okay nobody messes with him now you know, <laughs> um but the manticore ascendant books let us take a character who was enlisting in the danish navy because that's what manticore is at this point I and mean, it's more like iceland than denmark okay <laughs> um and then the truth of the matter is that in the first couple of books the guy who's trying to to torpedo the navy 
is absolutely right, even though he's the villain, um, the domestic <laughs> villain. He's absolutely right that according to everything they know, they don't need these ships. Right. Okay. This is like a South American republic with two battleships. Right. Okay. It's like, what do we need them for? You know, they're just money pits kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, because it's a David Weber novel, you find out what you need. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, it's a failure, failure of imagination, a failure, you know, a, fail, a failure to failure to, to appreciate. To they live in the honor verse where bad stuff happens, or you and know, like a, the real world. <laughs> uh, there's, you might discover a new means of uh, transportation, the wormhole method, for it, some, instance, some things like that like, could uh, happen. You know. know. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the. I just saw a big documentary on the Grand Coulee Dam, which was they just poured all this money into, it and they were like, it was this giant. And then suddenly World War II happened, and fortuitously we needed a lot of aluminum, we, so they built boat. You know, it's like yeah. we had this huge secret weapon sitting out in the in the, that we did, we just built because we needed to put yeah. people to work. And oh look, it makes yeah. electricity. How cool! <laughs> it seems like genius. But maybe maybe that we are in a David Weber novel. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. I don't Although it's, it would be better than being in a John Ringo novel. In, well, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not sure about a Larry Korea novel because Larry does stuff more like retail, and John and I do it wholesale. <laughs> yeah, so long as you're not a, you know, you're not on the on, on the uh, on the puff list. Well, no, the, yeah. So long as you're not on the puff list, so long as you're puff exempt, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite character out of that out of that entire series he's done. Is Mr. Franks? Yeah. I like him. I, I, I agree. He's, he's y'all are cool. y'all are cold, dangerous people. Yeah, well, you know, he's he's cool. Yeah. He's cool. So uh, the other uh, somebody else we meet who's on the entire opposite end of the spectrum from Aubrey is um, is Hoffman, who Klaus 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 Hoffman, yes, who um, who who we meet twice in the book and it's a really nice way that the book ties together with itself at the end he is um well you meet him originally in basilisk station yeah i mean he's in many ways he's he's an in you know this another thing about honor is that she often turns her enemies into into helpers even if they don't mean to be (laughs) (laughs) well in this case he he screwed up he raised a really good daughter Okay. Yeah. And she's she's what turns him around. Mm. She shames him in his own eyes. Yeah, but he actually cares about his daughter. He does. He does. And he has enough sense of personal integrity that once he has to look, he realizes that not only was Stacy disappointed in him, she was right. Yeah. And he never really becomes a friend of honor. Stacy does. His daughter does. Um, he never really becomes her friend. But he does become her her ally, hmm. and it also helps that he is as firmly committed to the Abolition League as she is. Well, I, I think that's actually a nice distinction um, that it is perfectly possible to be an ally without being a friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, he does, the, the, the 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 personal visceral anger that she, that he felt at her goes away. Yeah. Okay, but he's never going to be the kind of of personality. Yeah. That really meshes well with Honor's command style. Mm-hmm. The, but Honor has grown enough that by the time she's Steadholder and Duchess Harrington, she knows how to take a situation like that and make it work. Right. Okay. Um, 
And he's basically responsible for pulling her back into the Manticore yes. Navy. Yes, he figures he's got a win-win situation here. Either she's good enough to solve the problem, or the pirates will kill her, and either way he comes out ahead. Yeah. The that's his, that's being, his thinking at the beginning. He's incredibly rich, and his, his conglomerate is getting hit hard by the pirates mm-hmm. in the Salesian Confederacy. Well, in fairness, in fairness to Hopman, yeah. it's not just that his conglomerate's getting hit hard. It's that his people are getting killed, and that's that's a critical part of his character. He's he's kind of one of the the robber barons with a sense of a genuine sense of noblesse oblige. Mm. You know, these are my people. They're they're loyal to me. They work hard for me, and therefore I'm responsible for their welfare. He's a little bit like um, one of my other favorite characters in the universe is Michael Overstegen, mm-hmm. the, the the aristocrat who makes no <laughs> bones about the fact that he's an aristocrat, and of course I take advantage of it. But in return, I owe the Star Kingdom my service, you know, uh, kind of thing. Um, I've had fun. In some ways, I've actually had more fun with the supporting cast than I have with Honor. Honor is is this deeply, intensely personal kind of communion kind of thing. But the that I have with, with the character just because we've been together for so long, yeah. But the other characters are the ones where I can do kind of the quirky stuff. Like when Tarakoff in in um and the Saganami, uh, the, the, the tradition of Saganami, threatens to blow up the space station with all the civilians aboard it if the if the if the locals push him. And afterwards, Bernard Travis, you were bluffing, which he says, "No, I wasn't bluffing." And they push it, I'll blow them all to hell. <laughs> you know, it's kind of you can't see honor saying that. <laughs> and yet, it felt so good. <laughs> yes, it did. It did. You know. And uh, and she saves Hausman's uh, butt at the end of, uh, yep. of the book as well. So the um, let's sum up and, and talk about this book in particular. I, I think it, it is in some ways a turning point because, like you say, this is a this is a new honor that mm-hmm. then carries through the next of the book, and this is the honor that is is not striving for her place in the Manticore and Navy. Yeah. This is somebody that they need. Well, honor and the books themselves change fundamentally in about three points from Basilisk Station on, because the nature of the conflict is changing and the nature of who Honor is is changing. Yeah. So she's going from one level of operating to the next level of operating. She's going from the, I am the starship captain, I may be the flag captain, but I'm a captain of a ship. Mm-hmm. In, Honor, in Honor Among Enemies, she's moving into squadron command, but she's still a captain. But she's moving to that, I am now a subordinate commander of units. And then she makes the final move into, I am the commander of fleets who shape strategy at, at the highest level. So you're following her, her career. And at each level, she has to deal with different kinds of problems, which means that she's using different skills, different parts of her, of her personality, and that the feel of the stories changes because the matrix within which she's operating changes. Yeah, and, and and the way that you handle this um, and and your grounding in history is uh, one of the reasons why these things resonate um, not only with readers um, be- because they feel authentic, mm-hmm. um, but also uh, with uh, with with military folk. And in fact, you've just been invited to speak, uh, I believe, or, or participate in. A... I, actually, I am the final speaker. Oh, at yes, um, there were the um, U.S. Uh, Naval Academy Museum 
uh, is doing a symposium specifically on fleet tactics in science fiction. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the presenters is going to be speaking specifically about the Honorverse. And I have the last 30 minutes to speak to the, the audience. It's going to be a small live audience. It's only like a 40-seat uh, auditorium. Uh, but they're going to be live streaming it to practically every Navy base in existence. Um, and um, I think the URL for it is on my website now. We have it, so you can actually see it when, when it happens. Um, and they will give us a link to the video afterward so that we Great. can we can we and, can and we'll, we'll we'll share that on the Bain website yeah. and the, yeah. the Bain social media. I, I think I think it's gonna be fun. The book is Honor <laughs> Among Enemies, the signed leather bound edition. Uh, it's out now at booksellers and maybe a few copies are still available here or there. So so look for that. And if you can get you can always get the regular hardcover and track David down and get him to sign it. This because is true. He's he's out there. He he has appearances, um, and uh, then you'll have a your own signed hardcover. Yeah, I, I think I think that the cons and were can... trying not to invite me for a while because of the health issues last year. Right. Mm -hmm. But we've got like I think three already for 2018. So yeah, yeah. Um, we'll be we'll be back out there. Yeah. So if you, and if you want a reading copy immediately. Yeah. Of Honor Among Enemies. Of course, you can download the ebook at Bain ebooks and wherever fine ebooks can be found. See, first, you have to download the ebook so you can read it immediately. And then you need to order the regular hardcover to put on your shelf as a placeholder so you can look at it. It can be pretty. Okay. And then you need to buy the leather bound and put it in your vault somewhere. Okay. Oh, these things appreciate, yeah. So. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an I, I, no, I don't know whether or not the books appreciate, but authors appreciate <laughs> your buying. <laughs> and on that uh, horrible, uh, horrible pun. What he said. <laughs> yeah, so. David, Tony, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony Daniel. <laughs>
Vivalange Prospero. Dove. The voice was almost familiar. He paused with his hand over a board that glittered with darkness and looked toward the calm. A single blue light glowed there, jewel bright amid the shadows. Dove. The voice came again, clearer this time, firm and assured. Dove, it is Aliana. We are separate once more and appear to be in good order. I believe our situation is for the moment stable and relatively benign. There are no active enemies within the scans. Your hurts have been healed and you may take your chair at will. His chair? But surely he was in his chair, the board ready, and he about to, about to. The blue calm light flashed. The dire board beneath his hand flared as if in answer. Dials, gauges, and touchpads, all and each of them brilliantly blue. Light came up in the chamber about him, and he heard the shushing sound of a door unsealing. He spun the chair, and indeed, a door stood open directly across, a lighted hallway beyond, and blue guide lights flashing along the floor, giving him his direction. Back he spun to lock the board, ox board and war bridge it must be, he thought, and whatever danger had threatened the ship now passed. Situation stable and benign, his pilot had said and he was wanted in the co-pilot's chair. But the ox board, when he addressed it, was found to be locked down, and in proper state, though he had not. But no matter, he thought, suddenly aware of the pounding of his heart. No matter. His pilot had called, and he was wanted at his post. Up he came, onto eager feet, following the guide lights out into the hall and up, moving into a smooth run. As eagerness overtook him, the air cool and tasting of mint. The hall curved, and there he found another door, blue light blazing above it. He extended his hand, paused just short of the plate. Dove, it is Aliana. Her voice came from the speaker beside the door, and he smiled to hear her. Wake, do, and let me see you. He pressed palm to plate. The door snapped back, and he opened his eyes. It pains me to say so, pilot, but today's run indicates that your reaction times have slowed considerably since your last testing. First mate, Dane Tiazen, was another cousin, younger than Dilnem by a dozen years or more. She was not the sternest of those master pilots who had the tutoring of Paddy as part of a rotating schedule. Paddy sat with her hands folded on the edge of the simulation board, her eyes on the blank screens. She offered no argument, no protest. She did not state that, of course, the calibration subsystem required an overhaul. In fact, she had known that she had been slow. She had been, 
not to put too fine a point on it, only slightly more useful to her ship than a stuffed bunny. At least a stuffed bunny would have been amusing. What is interesting, and the circumstance which allowed you to finish your run within the parameters expected of a second-class provisional, Danae continued, is that your understanding of the board's geography appears to have made a leap. There were many less false starts, far fewer instances of an error corrected in mid-move. So, she knew the board better, but her speed was falling off. Danae might find that interesting, but Patty could not see that this circumstance ultimately helped her case. If she was to be a pilot of Corval, if she was to remain a pilot of Corval, for she had a provisional second-class license in her pocket, she must recapture her proper speed. Do reactions simply slow? She asked, not quite daring to meet Danae's eyes. It has been known... Illness or injury are the most common causes of a loss in speed. In your own case, pilot, I would suggest a far simpler cause. I believe that you are bored. Patty blinked and turned the chair slightly to look into her tutor's face. Let it be known that Danae Tiazen's sense of humor was not broad nor was she much inclined to joke at the board, as was, say, Niss Charles, another of her tutors. Certainly, it did not seem that Danae was joking at the moment. If anything, her face was even sterner than usual, as if she had discovered a lamentable and irreparable flaw in Patty's character. She also seemed to be waiting Patty hoped she was waiting to hear the only question it occurred to her to ask. Bored, pilot? she murmured. Bored, pilot, Danae answered with emphasis. Patty took a careful breath, recalling today's run at the simulator. Forgive me, pilot, but today's run was exacting. She had, in fact, been required to dance an avoidance in orbit, only to find high winds and sleet awaiting her when she hit atmosphere. An advanced run, suitable for one who aspired to first class, even as she lacked nearly a dozen hours yet to make her second class ticket firm. Indeed, it was exacting, Danae agreed, her eyes on Patty's face. But it was not real. The traveling rock, the weather, the course change from tower, all fiction. Your back brain knows this, even as your front brain was engaging with the problems. Possibly Paddy looked stricken. Danae held up a hand. You will please understand that I do not consider today's session in any way a failure. This improved understanding of board space is notable and important to your future success as a pilot. However, as I look back at your training records, I see that the last time you had live flight was Palomar. Is that correct? Yes, pilot, 
I've been on the sim ever since we began to come into ports where the passage isn't known. Danae was seen to sniff. While I understand that there is a need for caution under present circumstances, I believe that clipping a pilot's wings merely because a piece of space is strange to her is misguided. While there are some ports where we are welcome, or which welcome us more fully, pilots are by our very nature obliged to fly strange space. She sighed deeply and abruptly stood, bowing slightly in dismissal. Patty scrambled to her feet and bowed as student to teacher. Thank you, pilot, she said, for the gift of your expertise. Danae was frowning at the simulation board and made no sign that she had heard. After a moment, Patty moved to the door and let herself out. That was another entry in the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Audible.com, to Bain publisher Tony Weiskopf for joining the interview this time, and to podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. And the howling of quantum teleportation exploiting uplifted monkeys in a double clutch of infinitely stacked turtles ready for universe building. Plus thanks and praise for David Weber, author of Honor Among Enemies and creator of the Honor Harrington series. Please join us next time here at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy, and keep reaching for the stars. 